everybody, and welcome back to Feeling Scene, the podcast that talks about the movies that make us feel seen. And my guest today is, is one of those Swiss Army Knife entertainers, a writer, an actor, um, a, a novelist, a playwright, more specifically. Uh, perhaps you have read his debut novel, A Star is Bored which is based on his experiences working as an assistant for Carrie Fisher. Maybe you hotly anticipate his latest book, Big Gay Wedding. Maybe you have been uh, had the pleasure of seeing, which I have not and I wish I had, uh, a play that he wrote and co-stars in called Tilda Swinton Answers, an old Craigslist ad. You also, I believe you, you starred in, did you write the movie, was it Herpes Boy? Yeah, yeah. I have moments yeah. where I regret the title, but uh, yeah, I wrote and starred in this movie, Herpes Boy. It was about a kid who had a birthmark on his face mm -hmm. uh, by his mouth. And so people online made fun of him and he accidentally became a viral sensation. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was kind of my first Hollywood thing that I did out here. And it starred uh, Beth Grant. And Octavia, Octavia Spencer, Spencer is also I know, yeah. I know. It was a... It was a uh, this was before both of them were, they were on their way to stardom. And so they <laughs> said yes to an indie movie. And I'm so lucky that they did. They're both so wonderful and talented. What a, like, when you, like, having, having done, having done a bunch since then and looking back at that, are you like, I got Octavia fucking Spencer? It's like, so is that weird. like, what did I, well, how did I do that? <laughs> it's so weird. It's so weird to look back. You know, and I can say, uh, so I've got this book coming out, Big Gay Wedding comes out mm -hmm. on Tuesday. Um, and uh, everyone's like, are you excited? Are you excited? And I'm definitely excited. I'm ready for it yeah. to be out there. Ready. But because I've done all these other things, sometimes a big lesson I learned working for Carrie Fisher was that mm -hmm. it won't make you happy. Like it's not the, it's not the answer to happiness. So to be able right, to okay. say like, uh, she was she she would say I'm in Star Wars that is not what makes me happy I'm rich and famous but that's not what I'm so like working with Octavia I it was you know it's not the thing that's going to make me happy you know but uh, yeah all these things together add up to just like I feel so lucky I feel so grateful mm -hmm. um, and what cool experiences you know did you always want to write fiction books or is that something that came later? Because clearly, write, act, perform, like, you know, the, the entertainment polymath. Right. When did, when did novels, when did fiction come into the, the conversation? I started out as a journalist. So I studied. Same. Oh, here we are. We are. 15 years. Soulmates. Oh, wow. Yeah, same. I started in like uh, uh, 1999. Uh, I started in New Orleans at a TV okay. station where Hoda Kotb uh, got her start. All right. Uh, so I was with that caliber of like journalist and this station in New Orleans was the station. Everyone watched. So okay. they would do these incredible stories where like the main anchors like Hoda would go and spend the night in dangerous neighborhoods and record shootings and follow mm -hmm. people who live there around. And so this was a station that uh, in the late 90s really affected change. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, I was so proud to be a part of that. At the time, I was just like an intern. And then I got promoted to a writer and a producer and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But um, but that's where I got my start. And then I was a news reporter in Vegas for a little while. Oh, and dang, that's okay. I started to see like, oh, this is kind of journalism. Something's happening. Yeah. <laughs> and then when I got to LA, I was a writer there and uh and everyone who worked uh at the TV station at KCAL 9 and CBS2 where I worked cared. These were people mm -hmm. who really did care about putting out a great product, but the business was changing so fast yeah. and it just became kind of depressing. 
Yep. The biggest thing that I think has helped going from journalism to film is um, journalism gave me a sense of what's authentic. Especially yeah. in New Orleans, uh, watching the news there where, where the characters who would be interviewed um, were so rich. Mm-hmm. And so there was a sense of like what a great soundbite was. Uh, yeah. You cut out a lot of the uh, waste. So like mm-hmm. uh, no wasting time on dialogue that doesn't move things along. Yeah. Um, so so in those ways, I feel like I was trained to uh, to tell a story. Mm-hmm. Uh, the challenging ways every now and then I had this existential moment. And maybe you, you can relate to this too, where it's kind of like... Um, at least when I was on the news, it felt important. And there are moments where like I'm yeah. shooting a web series about my testicle and I'm like, am I making a difference? <laughs> you know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. But then when I remembered that it does, yeah. that yes. then it's really, really affirming yes. to be like, no, but like this just contributes in a different way. And the balance of both is what makes me so happy. So I know exactly what you're talking about. Thank you. And it is, uh, I'd remind myself the same thing. And sometimes people will say nice things about the work and uh, and that will make me feel good. And yeah, yeah. It, it is a reminder that uh, art is so important. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason we ended up here. That's there's right. a reason there's a reason we moved from one to the other where just we because I, I never wanted to stop being a journalist. I never wanted to stop doing journalism. It wasn't that I just knew that I had to go do this. Mm-hmm. And so it I feel like no as passionate as I, as I was and remain about journalism and that part of my identity that like I identify as journalist in so many ways mm-hmm. uh, to know that it was so important to me. And yet still. I had to leave it to make these other things is like, well, then that must have been pretty fucking important to me. Well, you're a storyteller, and uh, that is a human tradition. It goes mm-hmm. back to the campfire and all that, <laughs> all that old good stuff. So it's in our, it's in our, it's in us, you know. Well, and I, I, your character choice for today is another thing we have in common. Um, this movie so rarely comes up, and so often should. So please tell us. Who we are here to discuss on the pod today. So we're here to discuss Sadie Ratliff, who is from the movie Big Business. How can you not just love this place? Oh, God, Rose, I wish I knew. I I feel like the real me is all cooped up inside, you know? And I want so many things. I want designer clothes. I want to see the world. I want a penthouse in the sky and a maid to pick up after me. I want to say things like, keep the change. So it's Ben Bender, Lily Tomlin, they're switched at birth. Um, the Lily Tomlin twins are supposed to be the country country twins, and the Bette Midler twins are supposed to be the city twins. So Sadie Shelton is the New Yorker, and Sadie Ratliff is the um, country yes. Bette Midler. Yes. And I relate to the city twin who was dumped in the country. <laughs> That's and so you've got this character who uh, has this deep feeling inside that she doesn't belong there. Yeah. She belongs in New York. She belongs uh, amongst money yeah. and fame <laughs> and uh, helpers and all this stuff. And uh, there's this little speech she gives at one point where she's like, I find myself so bored. I'm just praying for a UFO sighting. God, sometimes I get so bored. I find myself just praying for a UFO sighting. I'd stand here and I'd say, come and get me. Come and get me. And you know what, young Byron, <laughs> when I saw this movie uh, in the 80s, I said to myself, that's me. Yeah? I don't belong here. 
Were you re- like, were you wa- you're watching this and you're seeing you're seeing country you're seeing Jupiter Hollow Sadie uh, yes and you're and you're being like weeping yes weeping. I need I yes. need big business <laughs> I need big business yes <laughs> well so I grew up uh, north of New Orleans so in a rural okay. part of Louisiana um, okay and uh, even I even I don't hear a country accent I don't think I have a kind of a country southern accent. Uh, and I sometimes joke that it's because I saw this movie Big Business and I was like, you know what? I knew from a young age I need to be out of here. I belong in the big city. Um, and they they would play this movie uh, on, uh, you know, over and over and on network and they had commercials. And mm-hmm. uh, the version that I had was uh, I recorded it off TV. So it was on VHS. Uh-huh. And during the during the movie, the there was a storm. So the meteorologist would cut in uh, <laughs> there were there were chunks of the movie that it, i didn't know for years wow there were oh man reports. yeah yeah yeah. um so it wow just, there was, it was more big business for you to discover it, it just kept giving it just kept giving <laughs> yeah yeah it was really special and even now like i can remember when i watch it without the the interruptions yeah uh, of the weather reports and commercials i'd be like oh this is where they took a commercial break like i still remember <laughs> Those little moments. It was very sweet. I, I, this, it, guys, if you want to watch Big Business, it's a Disney Plus option. Oh, it's great. You can find Big Business right now on Disney Plus. I know, because I've watched it recently on Disney Plus. It's When so I went great. searching around for it to watch it, it was like, it's time to watch Big Business again. Yeah. I was like, wait, this has been, this is right here. This is in the Disney vault? Yes. The, the Ratliffs and the Shelton girls are Disney princesses, you're telling oh, me? Oh, I never even thought about that. I love it. <laughs> I love that. So wait then, if you were if you were a country Sadie yearning to get out into the big city, what would your read on big city Sadie? Oh, I wanted to be her so bad. <laughs> I wanted to get off the elevator with the big hat, and all of my employees are there and they're scared of me. And I'm gonna walk down the aisle and be like, "Where's the report? How much money do I have now?" Good morning, Michelle. Appreciation schedule on my desk by five. Stewart. You know, when I ask for demographics, I expect you to include all age groups. Uh, children 7 to 13 don't purchase stocks, Miss Shelton. I did. Miss Shelton, is this how we dress for the office? You look like a blood clot. Everything's ready for the board meeting. Flow charts. Profit pyramid. I hope you'll be pleased. We were here until... What's going on in research? More money for more lab rats? Uh, some of our new products seem to create um, adverse reactions. Get tougher rats. I just... You know, showing up at the plaza. Every time I go to New York, I still like walk by and I'm kind of like, oh. <laughs> you know what? I feel like that really, the plaza, mm-hmm. I feel like was such a part of, because it sounds like we're around that, like, I'm a later millennial. I'm 38. So we're around that, like, millennial Gen X, like, cusp line together. Mm-hmm. And it is crazy how much, like, how much the plaza was a thing in my consciousness. Like, yeah. if it was a ho- hotel in New York, and for for some reason it was a hotel in New York for a movie that felt like it could be for children, the plaza had to be a part of it. I don't know if there was another hotel in New York, but there was the plaza. They had a good marketing team, or they just said yes to every movie. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe they needed the money. Uh, who knows? But, yeah, there's something about it that's, like, rich and cool and magical. And, I mean, you know. Uh, the the actual big business movie i think the interior of the plaza was shot on a stage so it wasn't Mm -hmm. the real thing and so when i go there now i'm a little bit like hey where's the you know where's that red sofa 
Yeah. But still, <laughs> but still, it's special. It's special. I loved this movie so much growing up. And I still think of Lily Tomlin rattling her bracelets antagonistically at people when they challenge her. Like, country Lily Tomlin. Mm-hmm. I just, I think this is one of the great comedies. Yes. I think this is one of the great comedies, period. I have a I have a story about that. I was in I was in LA, I was talking to a friend on the phone, I was walking to therapy, and out of a building that my therapist is in walks Lily Tomlin. Oh my God. I'm new oh to God. I'm new to LA. We're in Beverly Hills. <laughs> I, I just hang up on my friend immediately. I don't say another <laughs> word to her. Uh, and I say to Lily Tomlin, oh my God, I'm sorry to bother you. I just want to say, like, I, I'm a huge fan. I loved you in big business. Yeah. And she looks at me and she does her little wrist shake. <gasps> no, snake, she didn't! Snake bite thing. Yeah. And that was it. It was just like the most perfect. Oh movie. my God. It was so sweet. So what a class act. What a star. <laughs> uh, she was so sweet to, to say hi to me like that. Uh, obviously, you're still upset. You can't have snake me. When did you start making characters of your own? Mm. When did that become a part of your life? Like you were going into this yep. nonfiction career with journalism, but yep. when did the imagination start working to, to create characters of your own? So when I moved to LA, I was surrounded by um, the LA thing. So everyone was acting yeah. and this was in 2005 mm-hmm. that I moved out, out to LA. And I am so jealous that you were in LA for the aughts. The uh, last era before oh the camera phone, you were in LA. I was so lucky. I found the, an affordable apartment on Fairfax and Sunset. So it was oh, right there. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And perfect. At night, I would be depressed, you know, about what, <laughs> you know, journalism. I have no career. What I've made mistakes. Yes. And so I'd put on my hoodie and I'd go walking on Sunset Boulevard and like walk by Hyde. Remember when Hyde and Paris Hilton? Oh my that was God, I remember reading about Hyde. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The thing I've said to so many people is that I feel like when you when you arrive in LA, if you are adjacent even to the entertainment industry, you arrive at a fork in the road at a certain point, which is you learn too much and you have to run screaming in the opposite direction. Or you learn enough to where you're like, oh, it's going to be me, isn't it? And then you have to go down that yes. that path. Oh. And I feel like, like, again, if you're just like, if you're in media yeah. and there's just like something that puts you adjacent, then you're like, you're going to have a time where you're going to make that decision whether whether you're going to join, join in or not. Yep. Well, I remember saying to a buddy of mine, I was so miserable with my news job um, and I was, I was working overnights, which made it worse. Oh. So I would get to work at midnight and type, you know, for the for the teleprompter and whatever. Mm-hmm. And so there I was in some ways like servicing this anchor person and letting yeah. them live their dream. And really yeah. that used to be my dream. And so it was all kind of terrible. Yeah. Uh, and her buddy of mine, Glenn, I said, well, maybe I should go back to school. You know, maybe I could be a therapist. And mm-hmm. That's my other passion. And um, and he was like, well, then you'd just be a therapist who, who wanted to be creative. Yeah. And I thought, hmm. And YouTube was just starting at the time, and uh, and this this thing, Lonely Girl Fifteen, was just blowing up. Oh my God! I I I worked at Wired around the era when we did a very like we did a whole cover story. I remember walking yep. to the office and seeing the big cover treatment hanging above the reception desk of Lonely Girl Fifteen. Lonely Girl Fifteen. Uh, that our was, parallel lives continue. I love it. 
<laughs> that was this thing where people sort of weren't sure if this was a real person or if it was mm -hmm. scripted and it became a phenomenon. It was like one of the first YouTube uh, celebrity things. Yeah. And then it became uh, clear that it was a show and they were casting. And so mm -hmm. I had auditions. I signed up to go audition for that. And wow. they kind of wanted you to create your own character. So I was kind of just like this nerdy guy. Interesting. I didn't get it, but I thought, I can do this. I think I yeah. Can. And so that's kind of how I how I started. And I started this little web series about this guy with a birthmark on his face called Herbie's Boy. And then <laughs> it did kind of good. It got, it got like mm -hmm. tens of thousands of views on different platforms. And uh, then a producer saw it and he was a, he's a director too. And he was like, can mm -hmm. we make it a movie? And that was it. Wow. Yeah, crazy, right? That I mean, that's truly like that's a very Hollywood way to be folded in. Like, per, like yeah. I just made something, and then a producer reached out and was like, "Do you want to make a movie, kiddo?" Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, the behind the scenes hell of it all was. Oh um, God, yeah. So I still worked my job in the middle of the night. So I would work in the middle of the night, uh, be exhausted, and then go try to shoot this movie. Um, I was getting paid real money, I had, so because that was a real job. It was, these were yeah. like, WGA, you know. Uh, writers we were all in the wda because of because mm -hmm. of the news thing and so i made great money and so i pumped all that money into this movie i maxed out credit cards like here it is there yeah, it is yeah, yeah. yeah it was that it was that kind of thing where i was like i'm so unhappy uh but i have to try this before mm -hmm. i just give up i have to go all in and that's what mm -hmm. happened and so when you were uh, a young boy seeing seeing sadie ratliff in jupiter hollow were you was it a situation where, because like you're grafting yourself onto this, like the most sort of like a camp category of, of female character, which is a Bette Midler character. Right. Like Bette Midler is a performance of gender. <laughs> yes. And so like when you're watching this and you're young and you're in rural Louisiana, like how is the climate and culture around you greeting you as this person who knows that they're not quite in the right place and that they are going to find their way out into into other bigger contexts like mm. was how was was it like yeah things were actually okay when i was a kid or was like yeah it kind of fucking sucked actually and i was really ready to go hmm. well i think uh my childhood looked great on paper so, yeah okay uh like my parents got divorced and it was a very messy awful divorce but yeah. i still had a uh you know roof over my head and yeah all that stuff and i got really involved in church stuff uh, so okay. I was president of our youth group, and I was kind of a tyrant. <laughs> <laughs> you were Sadie Shelton. I was you Sadie were Sadie Shelton, Shelton. Of the church. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> that that gave me a sense of community and a sense of like um, purpose. Mm -hmm. But uh, but I just I just always felt like I didn't belong there. I wanted something more. I wanted something mm -hmm. bigger. And then, of course, the gay thing. Uh, I knew I was gay, but I thought it was just the devil. Uh, yeah. That was kind of the devil telling me to be attracted to these guys and why am I mm -hmm. not attracted to women and blah, blah, blah. And uh, high school was kind of awful for that reason. And yeah, I didn't know any other gay gay people. And, uh, you know, so it was just kind of a kind of a um, those things were challenging. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And was it a situation was like, of Go to New years York. later, like folks from high school, was it like a Oh, you too? Like, did did sort of like Facebook truths emerge who all the secret queers were that you were growing up around? Um, okay, so the biggest, craziest thing is uh, I had this best friend, Chad, and uh, in junior high, and I, I switched to a, a different high school, so I, mm -hmm. I wasn't at the same high school as Chad, but in junior high and in middle school, Chad was just 
my best friend. I love this mm-hmm. guy. And then we lost touch for years and years. And I was very scared to reconnect because I didn't want to be like, now I'm out and I'm gay and then have to kind of go through that whole thing again and possible mm-hmm. rejection. Anyway, long story short, Chad's gay. <laughs> Congratulations Chad's gay. to you both. Yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and it just, it really is sort of, it really is sort of shocking. It is sort mm-hmm. of like, and I, so I'm talking to Chad about it. I'm like, oh my God, you know, like, do you, what do you make of this? Do you know this, this, the universe and, and <laughs> we, we found each other and da, da, da. And he's like, oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like I'm the only one who cares. Like uh, yeah. the two genders of gay, right there, and yes, just like, yes. okay, fine, yeah, I moved to LA, I guess, and I thought I might be a therapist um, for a minute. So yeah. okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. So I just I can't say that at the time I thought it was so horrible. Uh, yeah, but I I couldn't wait to get out of there, and I really did feel like. Um, when Sadie Ratliff found out she was going to New York, and she was so excited, like that was yeah. my vibe. <laughs> I was like, I get, I understand that. Leave town? Go to New York City? It's a dangerous, dirty, low-down place. I know. I know. Oh, my God. What'll I wear? I gotta get my hair cut. Oh, this is just the sense of purpose I need. I gotta get me some of those press-on nails. Do those things stay up? I wouldn't want them flopping off in any of those fancy nightclubs. Listen, nightclubs, this is business. Now, you get a grip on yourself. We're going to New York City. We're going to New York City. Did you, like me and also my mom, and I have to assume anybody who watched this movie, uh, also have a crush on Fred Ward in this movie? The Uh, most wonderful himbo, maybe, to ever exist on screen, Fred Ward, as the, uh, as Lily, her sister, Fred Ward plays her boyfriend. Yep, yep. And he is the most adorable like hayseed country bumpkin guy and he knows like his girl's going off to the big city to like try and keep this massive conglomerate owned by the big city twins from shutting down the factory in jupiter hollow Mm -hmm. and when he goes to the big city to support his lady i am just like and the two this was honestly now that i'm thinking about it big business and mannequin Mm. are probably my two two of my earliest clocking of gay characters on screen interesting with like those like the assistants to uh-huh. like those corporate like higher ups uh-huh. to who are just fawning over Sadie Shelton. Yeah. I remember like just knowing like knowing what I was supposed to know about them that the movie was like giving you but veiling for you. Yeah. Like I remember recognizing them being like I know something about you guys and I'm a tiny kid right now. Oh, that's really special. I remember Rude. I mean, that's not nearly as gay as anything Bette Midler, but yeah. Still uh, well, you know who I was into um, is the young, uh, the blonde gay guy, the blonde gay assistant. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, he was also in Drop Dead Fred, and I wish I, I wish I knew his name, but I can't, I can't, <laughs> I don't know it. But, uh, but I wanted to be him, and it was so like, uh, like I remember the whole scene where uh, he was wearing this kimono and uh, the kimono, the kimono, yes. Rune was like, "Oh, where'd you get that uh, kimono?" And he's like, you "Get that name." Uh, no, Fire Island. Huh. Well, let's all have a drinky, shall No, I think it's time for Betty Bye. Don't tell me you two guys are sleeping in the same bed together. Yes. <laughs> Gee, I feel awful about that. Now, if you want, one of you can take the couch, and I'll share the bed. Oh, oh that's very generous of you, but uh, <laughs> we wouldn't hear of it. <laughs> 
you guys are all right. <laughs> and like, I didn't know what Fire Island was. Wow. I didn't understand. All that went over my head. But then in the morning, they all woke up and they're trying to, where are we going to find these Ratliff people? And the little blonde guy is naked in bed and gets out of bed and he's got just covering himself with the newspaper and like, that was pornography. <laughs> so my heart is kind of with that guy. No, that completely makes sense. That was Daniel Garrel. And then Daniel. his sort of counterpart was Graham Sherborne, Graham, yep. played by Edward Herman. Yep. And then, of course, Fred Ward playing the lovable Rune Dimmick. Rune. Good old Rune. Yeah. What a cast. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll hear more about big business and about the business of Byron's new book, Big Gay Wedding. Then I will have one quick thing about the official trailer releasing for Give Me N.A., the anthology film I produced last year. So we're going to do a little self-promotion at the end. Stick around for that, you guys. Greatest Trek is the podcast for all your modern Star Trek needs. It's funny, informative, and now it's also timely. That's because every Friday, right after the release of a new episode of Strange New Worlds, Picard, Lower Decks, Discovery, or Prodigy, we bring you a review of that episode. There's some great new Star Trek coming up, and we're going to cover all of it. You'll like our show because we're both former video producers, so we bring a lot of insight into the production and filmmaking aspects to these episodes. And we also have a very refined sense of humor, so we make lots of delightful fart jokes along the way. So come see why Greatest Trek is one of the most popular television recap podcasts on all of the internet. Subscribe to Greatest Trek at MaximumFun.org or in the podcast app you're using right now. Hey there, this is Drea Clark. This is Alonzo Duralli. And this is Sparta! Iffy. Listen, I got 300 on the brain. We just watched the movie 300 in honor of our 300th episode of Maximum Film. That's right. And to celebrate this major milestone, we brought back original co-hosts Ricky Carmona and April Wolf. But just for this one episode, right? Oh, Iffy, you know we could never replace you. Some of the voices have changed over the years. Heck, the name of the show has changed too. But through it all, Maximum Film remains... The movie podcast that isn't just a bunch of straight white guys. Deal with it. Find this and all 300 episodes of Maximum Film anytime on MaximumFun.org. Welcome back to Feeling Seen. I am here with author, playwright, and filmmaker Byron Lane, and we are talking about a movie close to both of our hearts. If you weren't here for the beginning part of the show, guess what it is? It's 1988's Big Business, starring many Bette Midlers and Lily Tomlins. Let's jump back into it. Now, did you as a child delight as much as I did in the moment where the twins really discover each other in that like salon powder room yes that begins one of i feel like one of the great moments of physical comedy <laughs> of all time that's right and uh and and a little bit of a kickoff of like uh technology like you know what i mean <laughs> they're clones what a cheap trick it's hard people I saw that movie. I was at the premiere. Get back. Get back. There, there is no such thing as pot people, is there? You're not my sister. And you're not my sister. Thank God. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. Thank you. 
Oh, whoa, ghastly, whoa. ghastly. Are they real? They're robots. They want to kill us and, and take our places. Oh, you've seen too many movies. You get back. You just get back. We Shut must up. be in some kind of... Now, there's got Carolyn, to be an universe. explanation for this. That is the dumbest damn thing I've Please don't heard. shout at Oh, them. you're such a hick. There's UFO written all over this thing. They're probably relatives. Relatives? Me that How can they be? Listen to them. They're imbeciles. Like, this is, this is the Jurassic Park of its day, you know? Uh, <laughs> it still looks good. Yes, it, it still, still looks good, really honestly. Great. Yep, yep. Uh, I lived for the um, the restaurant scene where they're sort of passing each other and they're with the wrong sister, but they don't know it. And then there's a yeah, whole yeah, bit yeah. about the fancy dress, you know, and the polka dots. And So what do you think? Sadie, I am so upset about this Hollymate sale. I don't know what to think. What are you worried about that for? We're going to march in there. We're going to set things right. <sighs> set things right? Rad! Come on, let's go! I knew I could count on you. Keep the change. And it, it really holds up. That movie is still really special. It honestly, it is still really, I, I was on a, um, I was on the podcast Screen Drafts. This episode is dedicated to you, Drea Clark. Um, this, I was on the podcast Screen Drafts and it was, the, the theme was, like, you create a best of list within the category you're given and the category was um, mistaken identity movies. Mm. And believe me, the surprise that rang out in that room when I posited that Big Business was one of the, you know what I didn't play? Like, fucking North by Northwest or no. anything like that. Mm -hmm. I was like, Big business. <laughs> That's right, yes. Is what, because there are so many mistaken identities in big business. Yeah. And they carry it off so geniusly. You can't tell me this isn't one of the great mistaken identity movies of all time. There are like at least five identities being mistaken at any given time. Yes. They it's even shocking. think Rune is someone that he's not. Yes. And the bit with the homeless guy at the end. Like it really <laughs> is just, it is so well done. It's so well done. It is so well done. And it shows and doesn't tell yes. its mistaken identity bit throughout yes. the entire movie. Like you said, that restaurant scene where they're just like passing each other in and out and back and forth. Like, obviously, like, you, you know, you, it's scenes and it's setups and it's cut and it's like, let's get this, this, this. But you watch it and it's almost like, it almost feels like a one shot. It's so kind of stressful in the moment of like, are they going to figure it out? Yeah. Are they going to pass each other by? Yeah. It's so much fun. It's so much fun. It's so much fun. Now, if you were identifying with a Bette Midler character when you were very young, was Bette Midler among a sort of host of divas who was sort of like a, a gateway for you in your accessing characters? Mm -hmm. I wanted to hear about your process of grafting yourself into fiction and where you sort of most frequently found echoes that were similar to like what you felt with Big Business. Uh, I Yeah, definitely. You know, since I had that little uh, encounter on the street with Lily Tomlin, I wish I could say... And, and in some ways it makes for a better like narrative to be like, and then I met her, but it really, it really was the bet character that I yeah. wanted to be. Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, there was something to like this strong, uh, human being who knew what she wanted, um, who, um, w should have been marginalized, uh, mm -hmm. but refused. Yeah. And, um, and that did carry on in my life. I mean, you've made you've made Tilda Swinton uh, yeah. looks an old get an old Craigslist. I mean, I feel yeah. like Tilda Swinton is is a modern day sort yes. of diva. Yeah. In in her very you know alien like human adjacent oh, kind of way, 100%. but one of those bigger than life figures. Yes. 
post-human. Yes, and I've always I've always been drawn to that, and I wish I could be more like that. I mean, I'm kind of a little bit crazy as it is, but I wish I could be even more just like uh, uh, no filter kind of kind of life. Uh, Whitney Houston was a big one, so The Bodyguard was a big deal oh, for me. Oh God! And, wow. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and I spent a lot of time just wishing I could be like Whitney's character in that, Rachel Marin, like a person who just really owned the space around them. And mm-hmm. I never, I never really felt like I did. Mm-hmm. Do you do? How is that now? What does seeking to own the space mean to you now, yeah. compared to perhaps how you saw it as an aspirational thing when you were younger? Yeah, it's uh, God. It's such a great question. I think now that the space doesn't belong to me or anyone. Mm, okay. And so okay, it's okay. a different kind of, uh, it's a different kind of um, desire. And sometimes mm-hmm. I wonder if that just comes from age or sure. comes from like uh, <laughs> realizing that like I'm never going to be Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> sure. and then just, you know, settling into what is meaningful in life. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, that's kind of how I how I feel now. This space doesn't belong to me or anyone else. Mm-hmm. So if it's if when I do feel like encroached upon, uh, yeah. even though I wish I could summon my inner bet or my inner Rachel Marin. Uh, Whitney's <laughs> character that uh, I could lash out, but anyway, now I just feel like um, I can do all that with civility. Uh, yeah, hopefully, I you know it's not as important to me if I if I win or lose some of those things. How do you find that you react to people who do wish to aggressively take up the space? Because I feel like that's a sort of that's a real learning curve of getting into sort of film and TV realm. Is you meet a lot of people who not only want to take up space, they want to do it like either like aggressively or fully violently or just in prickish and rude ways. How ha- how does your relationship exist now with that Sadie Shelton kind of figure who's like, get the fuck out of my way. You are my underlings. You are my peons. Like, how do those people interact with you, like, in, in your interior now? Gosh. Um, well, the easiest way to handle that is uh, through email. <laughs> If I can delay an in-person conflict with email um, or, <laughs> or texting, that's my favorite. And TikTok has a whole like um, series of like how to say things in like corporate speak. So like, really? Do you my, find that are they helpful? Are they like they actually helpful? They're helpful in a way. Uh, to me, it's a little bit like um, self-help in reframing. So okay. uh, like in the self-help world, instead of maybe being like, um, I'm, I'm uh, ugly, uh, the reframing in self-help would be like, it's possible to be ugly. Like, is that even possible? You know, and so like, <laughs> really, so in the, in the business world, it's like, how do you tell someone to, uh, um, uh, do I need to be at this meeting? And then on yeah. TikTok, they'll suggest like saying, um, oh, hey, I just wanted to check in on... Um, my contribution like is my contribution what contribution <laughs> are you expecting from me like kind of yeah. like a very like and and some of them are cr- like really go out there like so lawyers speak about <laughs> oh god anyway so my first tip for conflict uh, with all that is to just try to avoid it on email or <laughs> or to just be firm just avoid it on email it's so much easier on email to be like uh this is not for me yeah uh, like recently someone was asking me to do some interview and they were asking me to sign some weird thing um, that I hadn't seen before. And mm-hmm. so I was like, hey, you lost me at this exclusivity thing. Sorry about that. 
Um, yeah. Take care. I'm bumping. I'm bumping up against this. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, in real life, one tip that I use, and I, I tried it, my sweet mother who lives in Louisiana, I tried her to try to get her to use this too, is, uh, and it's so simple is, let me think about it. <laughs> you know what these all sound like? This is what this is what East Coast people tell me West Coast people sound oh like. Oh my gosh. Yeah, because on the East Coast, <laughs> the they're just West like, Coast no. West Coastification Ugh. of conflict language. Again, can't we be Sadie Shelton and just be like, no, it's not for me. <laughs> yeah. Instead, I'm like, let me think about that. Let me get back to you. I don't know. <laughs> well, then what it like in the Lily Tomlin twins, we have both characters like one's obviously in the big city. She longs to be in the country. She knows that like she's not she she knows she's a country mouse. She's not she's not a she's not a city mouse. And then, you know, it's sort of the divide of can can you exist in two places at one time? Also, like once the, the secret's out and they kind of all end up where they're supposed to be. What do you find is your relationship with your Jupiter hollow like how is the going home part for you when you got out and became the city mouse that you always knew you're supposed to be oh I love being a city mouse (laughs) you know Jordan sometimes it's really sad okay it's really sad uh like when I go back home I find it to be kind of sad and mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of hmm. how I how I look at it. And I and even in the movie in Jupiter Hollow, I'm like, oh, this looks kind of sad. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, but but it's not. I don't say it with judgment. I guess maybe a better way to say it is it's it's uh, just not right for me. Like it's not mm-hmm. it's not my world. And um, but the like the people there are always so lovely. I'm going mm-hmm. to for a couple extended times to take care of my mom and. Uh, mm-hmm. Those experiences are sometimes shocking in that people can be so kind and lovely and full of light and versus uh, coldness that you get in other places. Yeah. But but for the most part, it just um, it just feels not for me. Yeah. Yeah. A heavy heart kind of situation. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like you are able to bring yourself home or do you bring a version of yourself home? I really do bring a version of myself, I think. For sure. Uh, like one little tiny thing is uh, in L.A. And maybe this is a gay thing. I don't know. I feel I feel bad saying it. No, I am. I We are here. We are clear. <laughs> yes. Walk around <laughs> and you're like the checking people out thing uh, yep. is just like everyone is checking everyone out. It's constant. <laughs> It's constant. And when I'm back in Louisiana, I have to like remind myself like, oh my God, Byron, you have to rein this in. These people are not, this is not the place for that. I I find that I, cause when I, when I'm back home, like I love getting to go home. I'm very privileged that I, that I get to love going back home where's, from where's a, a small town in, small town in Oregon, okay. uh, like 30 minutes south of Portland. So, okay. so close to our big city. Yep. Um, And I still have a great like connection to my hometown, but what I, and I, I am, it's interesting because, like, I am fully myself, but, like, being queer is such a part of my life here in L.A. Like, most of my friends are queer. We're talking about queerness all the time. Or, and just, like, we are existing as queer people in the specific way that that puts your lenses on the world and talking about anything, anything you encounter. Like, you're encountering, you're, it is gay culture, like, because yes. you are experiencing it. And it's so, and I, I noticed a couple years ago that I just, like, it's not like I'm, it's not like I, I don't avoid talking about anything, but I just, by default, don't talk about so many things where like my friends would come with me and they would totally recognize me. I'd be the same person. But like if I had, if my queer friends came with me from LA and we sat and having conversations around my family, it'd be like, 
this is what you talk about down in LA? <laughs> because like, there's just, there's such a chasm between just the vernacular yep. that it's like, listen, this would just take so much for me to even get us on the same page about oh. how to talk about stuff mm -hmm. that I just frankly don't want to start trying to show you. Yep. So we're good. It's cool. We're yeah. good. But then I remember when I saw like a, like a rainbow flag hanging in like my sister's small town that she lives in near where we grew up, like a queer flag hanging on a house across the street. And I was, I wanted to like go knock on their door and be like, Hey, Thanks. Yes. Yes. I feel the same way. Thank hey. you. Or if I see yeah. a gay couple holding hands, I'm like, you're, you are doing your part. I want to roll yes, down the window yeah, as I drive by and be like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? You're not doing activism right now, but also you kind of are. Yeah. So like, thank you. Do you dress a little different? Are no, I've always clothes? dressed like a generally androgynous middle school boy, Got just it. jeans and t-shirts. Yeah, yeah. This Taylor Swift shirt that I'm wearing right now, that goes with me anywhere. Yes, I love it. I love the it. jeans and the t-shirts have just gotten more expensive over time. That's yes. the only difference. Got it, got it, got it. I love it. Is it is your uniform different when you go back home? Do you put on do you put on your Jupiter Hollow clothes and leave yeah. your your Sadie Shelton dresses at home? Yeah, I do try to be a little less stylish. Sure, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, let me not wear scarves. I'm not going to bring this brooch. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? I am mindful of it. I'm not going to bring this brooch. I am mindful of it, yeah, yeah. Where did you get that? Milan. Well, it's awful. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm being criticized by a grown woman wearing a bib. I feel like there is a degree of sort of creative genius that has to be bred within marginalized folks. Or, or in folks who are underrepresented in in screen fiction, because we have to find ourselves in places where we don't exist, or even or outright not allowed to exist. So we have to create for us, like we have to project images into places where we are not. Yeah. And I wanted to hear from you as somebody who creates fiction about that process of building yourself into stories, perhaps where in your formative years you were having to do the same thing, just because what you were handed didn't give you an option to see you. Yeah. Yeah, that's really important to me. Your book is called Big Gay Wedding. Big Gay Wedding. I mean, um, <laughs> well, yeah, Big Gay Wedding is a great example. Um, I wanted to write a book with a gay character who felt like me. And yeah. um, and that means that it, he is not like a crazy sidekick. Yeah. Um, he is not um, uh, able to be uh, squeezed into one um, cruel stereotype. Yeah. You know, uh, he uh, has um, a texture, you know, mm -hmm. um, so so that's and his, his name is Barnett and mm -hmm. uh, his mom already knows that he's gay and he is coming home to with some big news. And she thinks the big news is that he's coming home to take care of her farm. She runs this mm -hmm. rescue ranch for misfit animals in, uh, <laughs> in rural Louisiana. But instead, he's coming home to say, hey, I met someone. He's really mm -hmm. special. We want to get married here on the farm. And she has to deal with that in a town that basically, like, they don't want blacktop roads. Like, this is a no-progress kind yeah. of town. and A land that time forgot. Yes. So Barnett is actually, um, you know, his, his story arc is uh, navigating his mother's feelings and still mm -hmm. wanting to have this gay wedding. But the, the big arc is really the mother who sort of has to have her own coming out experience mm -hmm. as loving her gay son and supporting this gay wedding, uh, even though she might not be yet 100% comfortable with it. Uh, she's mm -hmm. having to come out as a sort of advocate, come out as a, um, 
in some ways an activist in this town mm-hmm. and and break uh, uh, break ground, break break mm-hmm. the ceiling on having a, a gay wedding in the town. And so, yeah, I, I do try to bring the spirit of, of my own experiences to to the work. And uh, mm-hmm. and I hope I did that in Big Gay Wedding with all these quirky Louisiana <laughs> people. And the, this Barnett lives in L.A., so it's a little bit of like reverse big business. Here he is coming from mm-hmm. the big city to try to change the little town. Well, and I, I have a I have a friend who's a screenwriter, and uh, she's a trans woman. She's married to she's married to a woman, and they uh, they're both from I think they're both from South Dakota. Mm. I don't think I don't think it's both the Dakotas. I think they're both from South Dakota. And she has talked about like she sets her stories in South Dakota. And she's a trans woman, and she gets feedback of you know the the notion of like you know we really want stories for like like Middle America, you know. And she's like, it's literally in Middle America though, like. I'm just, I'm, I'm trans. I'm from South Dakota. So this is, I'm telling you a story that actually exists because I'm the story. And if I'm the story, I am other stories as well. So this, like, I, you know, I appreciate the, like, the bringing in of the hometown and that, because it's like, no, this isn't like, I didn't decide to make up a fantasy. Right. Like, I decided to incorporate the story of someone like me who came from someplace like this that is, like, comes in as, like, that that exists sort of as this stand in, like, the flyover America. Like, where it's like, no, but we want to, like, give stories to the heartland. It's like, I am a story of the fucking heartland. That's right. You know, I that's where I'm from. That is really I'm glad you mentioned this because that is something I'm experiencing and going through right now as big gay wedding, you know, ends up in people's hands. Yeah. And some some reviewers, um, you know, it's the usual stuff. Oh, I love it. You know, so funny. And then they're always like, and um, some of it was hard for them to read. And Ooh. it's always surprise like uh, incidents of bigotry or like a mm. parent who is resistant to embrace their kid's sexuality. And mm-hmm. for me, that was all very normal. And, yeah. uh, and you know, there's there's a vibe of like, um, so Barnett's partner is Ezra. And so when Ezra comes to town, he notices some like microaggressions and he's like, sure, sure, sure. wow, interesting microaggressions. And Barnett's like, oh, that's just normal. You know, you kind of get used to it. Yeah. Yeah. And so it is interesting when I, when, uh, you know, th- I'm glad I can bring a story to to the page and to mm-hmm. readers um, that I think shows kind of like this is kind of how it was. This is kind of how mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. You know what? Sadie Shelton can go to Jupiter Hollow, yep. and it might be a little bit shocking, but she's got to see how Sadie Ratliff lived. That's right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Maybe they should <laughs> Sadie be doing Ratliff a sequel. Came from this place. That's right. That's right. Well, I think I think that that brings us down to the end of our time. I, I want I could talk about big business with you for so long or life. I really do. I love the parallels we have. Um, I'm excited <laughs> to connected with you. This is all it's all meant to be. And so, uh, give me the date that Big Gay Wedding is out. Uh, Tuesday, May thirtieth. Okay. Yeah, and it's anywhere that uh, books are sold, and it's also. Uh, an ebook and it's an audiobook read by actor Noah Galvin from The Good Doctor. Oh, how and wonderful. The Real O'Neills, and he was on Broadway. Con- congratulations to Noah Galvin and Ben Platt. We oh wish you gosh. every happiness. Yes, we wish you every happiness on your big gay wedding. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Hope it's grand and lovely. Yeah. I just got to hear a little bit of uh, Noah's narration, and it's so great. Well, congratulations on it coming out. Congratulations on being out. Congratulations <laughs> on Noah Galvin Yay. and the audiobook. 
And thank you so much for taking the time today, Byron. I really appreciate oh, it. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Jordan. And thanks to Marissa. I, I'm so grateful. Thank you again to Byron Lane. We recorded this just before Big Gay Wedding hit bookstores, but it is out now. So you don't have to wait to pick up a copy of your own or of that audiobook. Uh, and if you haven't seen Big Business, it's right there for you, hiding in plain sight. Uh, easy to mistake an identity, miss it uh, on Disney+. And if you want more books, actually, by Feeling Seen alum, this is a great time to remind you that unlikable female characters and a book that's guy's book is available for purchase now and so is kyle turner's book the queer film guide 100 great movies that tell lgbtqia plus stories so get out there there is so much summer reading for you to do courtesy of wonderful thought-provoking guests on the show um and then my one quick thing my one quick thing is about me it's about me and the so many others, producers, writers, directors, um, actors, f- filmmakers, incredible filmmakers that came together to make the anthology feature Give Me N.A., which I worked as a producer on last summer. We, guys, we shot 17 shorts in 10 days at the end of July, beginning of August. Uh, indefatigable executive producer Natasha Halavi and producer post-production wizard Stephanie Williams pulled that thing across the finish line and got it into film festival shape by September, where it started playing at festivals like Fantastic Fest, um, and has since moved on to things like Brooklyn Horror Film Quest. It's been racking up uh, really cool accolades and good reviews along the way. And guess what? I mentioned it on this show before. You have wondered, you have anticipated hotly, when can this get in front of my own eyes? The answer is June 29th on VOD. It is coming to VOD on June 29th. And there are actually select theatrical engagements too. Uh, Los Angelinos, that very day, June 29th at the Arrow, I believe it's a one-night-only special. You, uh, Give Me an A, will be playing. There are dates also in Chicago, Austin, Texas, I believe. I'm sorry I don't have the complete list for you right in front of me. But each of those theatrical engagements, all of the proceeds, 100% of them will go to women's health care and abortion access funds. 100% from each of those screenings. So go see the movie. It's really good. And also uh, support good causes. We need your help. And also support independent cinema by renting that fucking thing on demand. If you've ever loved me, it is your obligation to rent purchase if you can. Give me an A coming to you from XYZ Films. And you can trust it because XYZ makes a lot of good shit. And uh, they swooped us up and now they're putting us out into the world. So... Watch it, live it, learn it, love it, as Courtney Shane would tell you. And that is our show. You can follow us on Twitter at FeelingScenePod or send us an email at FeelingScene at MaximumFun.org. If you want to follow me, I'm Jor Crew on Twitter. That's J-O-R-C-R-U, where I am posting the trailer to Give Me an A and details about where you can see it in like a handful of cities. So you should check that out. Our theme music is by Andrew Epen. The show is produced by Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher. And this is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.